Well, today is Palm Sunday. If I had thought about it, I would have gotten you all palms, but I didn't, so I'm sorry. So uh, next week is Easter, and we're excited about that. Uh, today we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount again. Uh, this is kind of uh, the wrap-up to Jesus' main body, uh, and the body that started all the way back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when Jesus said these words uh, that are on the screen. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And from that moment that Jesus says that, pretty much everything that he talks about uh, up until today uh, is going to be about that subject, the law and the prophets. And, and that's, a, uh, that's an older way of just saying what we call the Old Testament. They didn't have an Old Testament because it was their only testament. All right, and so they just called it the law and the prophets. The law is where God told them this is how you should live. And the prophets were the prophets coming in and saying, hey, uh, you need to live according to the law. And, and so that's kind of uh, what those two things are. Uh, Jesus says, I'm not come to, to abolish that, uh, but to fulfill it. And he's kind of explained that throughout uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And essentially what Jesus has been trying to get at is that our outside has to reflect what's on the inside. Uh, because no matter how well you obey the, the law of God, no matter if you are very a stickler and you check off everything, I've not done this, I've not done this, I've done this, I've done that. If your inside stinks, you stink. All right? and, and so that's kind of what Jesus has been saying. It's not about what you do on the outside if it doesn't change your inside. And so everything that he's been trying to do uh, does that. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. Uh, if you didn't bring one, there are some pew Bibles in front of you that you can follow along with us in. Uh, and essentially, Jesus here uh, at the first 12 verses or so of Matthew 7 is going to kind of close out this subject of the law and the prophets and what it means to truly follow God and truly be a part of the kingdom. Uh, he's going to hit some subjects that we've already talked about, uh, and so he's going to retell them slightly, uh, and so we're, we'll kind of look at those different things. Uh, we'll also, uh, there's, they're loosely connected here, these 12 verses. All right, if I was a, a good minister, I'd make this sermon series be like a, a year long, all right, but I'm not a good minister. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm a nice one in that we're going to condense it all. So there's going to be three subjects here uh, that we'll kind of hit, and, and they're going to be talking about different things, and we'll kind of recap all that stuff. So here is what Jesus says, starting in verse 1. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, how many of you have ever heard this before? Do not judge, right? They just stop right there, right? I do not judge. You can't judge me, all right? That's pretty typical. It's often quoted, and it's often misunderstood, all right? Pretty much uh, anytime someone is saying that, it's because you're calling them out on something they're doing wrong, right? All right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be saying it, so you can't judge me. All right, and so we have to kind of understand context because context is very important, Here's what I mean by that. A preacher told us a story about his son who learned very early on in his life, if he told his Sunday school teachers that he was the preacher's kid, he would get extra pieces of candy. 
And so he was going around telling everybody, I'm the preacher's kid, and getting extra stuff. His mom found out and took him aside and said, son, that's not how we roll in this family. You can't go around telling people you're the preacher's kid. So the next Sunday, the kid is walking around church, and an older lady comes up and says, hey, you're the preacher's son, right? And that put him in a pretty precarious situation, right? He told his mom, yes, I'm not going to tell people I'm the preacher's kid anymore. And he's being asked directly, are you the preacher's kid? And so this child says, well, I thought I was, but my mom told me I'm not. And that kind of put them into a kind of a bind, right? Having to re-explain what that meant, okay? And so context is important, all right, taking a, a, a subject out of context changes everything. And this is kind of what happened, and we do this in our society really, really badly. All right, if, if we have a politician we don't like, we take something that he says, tell everybody this one sentence out of this entire conversation, and say, look what he said. And everyone's like, oh, he's evil. But then when we go and we look at the context, we're like, oh, yeah, I probably agree with him there. Context is important. You probably take, I can think of a number of things that I've said uh, over my times that are recorded, and you could probably take it out of context, add it to some other things, and post it on Facebook, and everybody would be up in arms about what I said. And so this is one thing that I really, really don't like, when we take things and divorce it from context. Uh, I remember uh, one time a couple of years ago, we were at my wife's Thanksgiving dinner with her family. And, and uh, if you're ever a minister and you're at a family function, guess who gets to pray? Always. Okay. And so they said, Tony, will you pray? I said, yes. And so I began to pray and I asked God to bless the food. And I prayed, God, please don't let us get sick. <laughs> within, this, within this prayer, right? But context is important. All right. Just the day before, some of the family was up all night throwing up. I did not want to get sick. I wasn't saying the food was badly cooked, but it could be taken that way. All right, and so we have to understand that, that if we understand context, then we can understand what was meant, and what was meant is what we need to understand. And so when it comes to the Bible, context is key. And so when Jesus says, do not judge, we need to understand what do you mean, Jesus? Because I think we take it out of context and we say, you can't tell me what to do in my life. All right, so here's what Jesus says. He gives us context in verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites. First... Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, this is hyperbolic, all right, which means that it's an exaggeration, all right? And here's why. He uses two words that are, that are extremes of each other. One of them is speck, all right? And, and that word was often used of splinters, all right? When you think of sizes of wood, a splinter is pretty small, right? Probably the smallest that we can think of. And so uh, they are minor, minute. They're annoying. If you get a splinter in your toe, what do you want to do? You want to take it out because it bo it's bothersome. But they are minute. And then Jesus talks about this uh, plank, which is 
uh, the word for beam or rafter. All right, and so when you think of a house being built, rafters are pretty large pieces of the house, right? All right, and can, you can, this is hyperbolic, right? If you have a plank in your eye, a, a rafter in your eye, you probably know it, right? All right, and so this is, this is what he's saying is, is you are looking at this speck, this minor thing, when you have this beam protruding from your face. Now, what is he talking about? Figuratively, Jesus is talking about sin in your life. And he's saying what happens is sometimes people come up and they're looking at someone else's sin and saying, man, that's a problem. You need to get rid of it. And all the while, they're ignoring the fact that they have a major problem in their own lives. In fact, there's sin that this person that wants to look at their brother and say, you need to get rid of that, their sin is far worse than their brother's sin. And Jesus calls them a hypocrite. You hypocrites. You're ignoring your own problem and looking at someone else's. And you're making a big deal out of something that's minute compared to your own issues. And when we go around judging people saying, you know what, that's a problem and we are forgetting to look at our own lives, that is what Jesus is talking about when he says, do not judge. John says this in, in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. He says something very similar. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him, God, to be out to be a liar and his word is not in us. John says something very similar to Jesus here. He says, all of us have sinned. And if we go around saying, I, I don't have a problem, you have this beam protruding from your face, you're a liar. John even goes as far as say his God's word is not in you, which means Jesus is not inside you. If you're going around saying, I have no sin problem, yet you do, you have a lot of sin in your life, then you're missing the point. Now, if we go back to Matthew 7 for just a moment, we notice something. Jesus says, take the plank from your eye so that you can do what? Help. Right? And see, this is where I don't think Jesus is saying we can't go to people and say there's a problem in your life. Right? We cannot be blind to moral failures of other people. I, this is not what Jesus is saying when he says this. All right, he says, get rid of your own problems and then help someone else. But it starts with you. And so when you see sin in someone's life, you have every right as a brother to a brother Christian to go to them and say, hey, it looks like you're struggling in this. Paul, Paul says it this way in 6, 1, Galatians 6.1. He says, uh, brothers, if someone is caught in sin, if you see someone sinning, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out. Watch yourself so that you also may not be tempted. Because you also may be tempted. And Paul, I think, is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. Paul doesn't say, go judge them. 
And I think that's a problem that we often get within the church. As we sit there and we look at people and we say, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, and we miss what Paul says here. Don't judge, but restore. And I think the goal of Christianity isn't to judge people, isn't to say you're going to hell, all right? That's not what we're to do. What we're to do is to bring restoration between people and God. And there are far too many churches in this world that go around where the leaders go to people and they say, hey, you have an issue. And the people, rather than trying to gently restore them, they cause them to go further away from God. And that ought not to be. We're to restore them, to bring them back to a relationship with God. And Paul says, watch yourself. Because too often we get into comparison games, don't we? Man, that problem's a lot worse than the sin that I have. And we choose to to ignore our sin and, and be willing to commit our sins that are in our lives because we see this person over here who's having a lot tougher time. See, our sins, they separate us from God. It doesn't matter how big or how large. They're an issue in our lives. And we can't ignore what our own issues are, what our own sins are. But we are allowed to talk to other people about their sins too. But first means that we have to look at our own lives. What sins do I have? What things do I need to fix? What things do I need to get rid of so that I can go and help my brother in Christ? So this is where it gets interesting in Matthew 7, okay? Because right after Jesus says, don't judge, looking at the speck and the plank, here's what he says in verse 6, okay? Verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, you may, they may trample them under their feet uh, and turn and tear you to pieces. And th- this is where it gets interesting because Jesus just said, don't judge, all right? And then we get into this context where he turns around and says, hey, judge, all right, and, and so we have to understand some things historically, okay? So we have to put on some Jewish thinking caps, all right? Dogs and pigs or swine, they are, they are unclean animals, all right? And for the Jews, there are clean animals that you can eat, that you can raise, that, that you can have as pets if you really wanted to, all right? But they're things that you can eat. And then there's unclean animals, which it's just better not to be around them. You're not allowed to eat them. You're not allowed to touch them. They're not supposed to be in your home. So they didn't have dogs. Sorry, dog lovers out there, okay? So that's Jewish people. That's what they didn't do. Now, on top of that, the Jewish rabbis of the day went around calling Gentiles two words, dogs and pigs. All right, and then they called them this because these are two of the primarily unclean animals that was in that region. And Gentile people... Like the unclean animals, it was better if you just weren't around them. And so Jesus uses this phrase, and and everybody understood what he was talking about. And he says, don't give to them, these people that don't follow God, don't give to them sacred things or pearls. And these, these are saying the same thing. Sacred and pearl mean the same thing. Dogs and swine mean the same thing, okay? All right, so so what is Jesus talking about? Well, The Jews in that time talked about the words of God like a pearl. 
right, Jesus uses this analogy in Matthew chapter 13 when he talks about uh, the pearl of great price and, and how people, it's the, it's the kingdom of God, okay? So, so don't give this pearl, this wisdom of God, this word of God to dogs or swine. And this is, a, this is probably one of the hardest verses you'll, you'll ever read in Jesus' teachings because no one knows what it means. Right, we are 2,000 years removed from it, and we don't understand it. What is he talking about? Is he saying we shouldn't give to unbelievers the faith? I don't, I don't think so. The, the early church, they interpreted it this way. They, they basically said there were some things that the church does that unbelievers should not participate in. And so they would, uh, in their church service, they would actually kick out anyone that wasn't baptized. So if you're here to listen, if you're here to, to learn, and you're not baptized, you have to leave. And they would say, get out, get out. And they would shut the doors, and then they would quote this verse to, to say why they would do this. So that's what they believed is, is in particular, it was communion. You couldn't participate in communion or in the communion service. All right, and so th they would do that in their services. And I don't know that that's what it necessarily means, but it has to mean something. Right? And in this context of judging, it has to mean you have to judge some things. And maybe what Jesus is saying is that we have to recognize that there are some people in the world that aren't going to accept Christ. And they're not going to be convinced by us throwing scripture at them. And so maybe what it means is, is we shouldn't do that because they're just going to turn around and pick verses out, and we see it all the time. They pick verses out of context, and they throw it back at us. Well, God said, kill the children. Really? You know, we, we have to understand that. And it's hard because we also recognize that God wants all to be saved, right? And so, so if you don't agree with my interpretation, that's fine. There's probably a million out there on this one verse, all right? So, so go choose whatever you want on this because no one really knows. Now, to kind of conclude this judging idea, I want us to read 1 Corinthians real quick. Jesus says this, or Paul says this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Uh, the next verse, I think, says, God judges those who are outside. And so I think this is the concept that we have to understand within the church. When Jesus is talking about brothers and judging them and looking at their sins and all that stuff, he's talking about within this confine of those who follow God. And Paul understands that. Right? We have no right within the church to look at sinners, those who are not in Christ, and say, you know what, they're sinning. Well, yeah, they are. What are they? They're sinners. They're going to act like sinners, and we shouldn't expect them to act like us. We are called to a different kingdom, to a different level of living. And so we should not expect those outside the church to act like Christians because they're not. And Paul says that here, do not judge them. You don't have a right. Jesus says the reason why you are not allowed to judge is because you're a sinner yourself. The only person that has the right to judge those outside the church is God, because he's sinless. 
We have no right to do that. However, within the church, as long as we're looking at ourselves, as long as we're recognizing sin in our own lives, as long as we're protecting ourselves and getting rid of the planks, we have every right to look at moral failure with the Christians. And we have every right to stand up and say, that's wrong. But do it gently and with the purpose of restoring. All right, so that's judging. Uh, Jesus moves on to a different subject in verse 7 of Matthew 7. He says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Uh, these three words, ask, ask seek, and, and uh, knock, uh, they are typical words of that time period talking about prayer. Now, Jesus has talked about prayer already in the Sermon on the Mount. However, when he was talking then, he was talking about the attitude of prayer. Are you praying to get applause from men or are you praying to God? All right, and, and those are two different attitudes. Here, Jesus changes the idea, the subject of prayer, to that of persistence. The Greek words here, uh, there's different tenses in Greek words. We don't really have that in English, all right, uh, but for them, they have, this word here is, it's not a one-time action, but rather it's a continually act, continually doing. So you're not just seeking one time, you're not just asking one time, you're just not knocking one time, but you're doing it over and over and over again, and what Jesus says is that if we do it over and over and over again, if we pray for something over and over and over again, we will finally get it, and God will answer now, God answers to his wisdom and to what's best for us because God knows what we need, not necessarily what we want. All right, and so he will answer it on his term. And then Jesus gives us some analogies to, to how God answers. All right, here's what he says in verses 9 through 11. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, gives him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Then, though you are evil, as in you're not perfect, all right, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others. Oh, I'm yeah, not supposed to read that yet. All right, so, that, that's, so he kind of gives us an analogy here, okay? And it makes more sense if we understand some things, okay? A piece of bread, uh, when you go to the grocery store, how big is your piece of bread? Your loaf of bread. Yeah, and, and what do they do to it? Slice, slice bread, right? In Missouri, they, they started that. All right, so you have sliced bread, right? Well, for them, and it's usually roughly this big, but for them, their bread was really like this, a loaf of bread was probably about this small, okay? And, and, and it was round, and it was white, and it looked like the stones of Judea. All right, and so what Jesus is saying here is, who of you, when your son asks for a piece of bread this big, we'll instead give him something that looks like bread, but is really stones. You're mocking your child, right? Yeah, here you go. All right, not what he was asking for. And then this idea of fish, uh, the, the snake there is probably talking about an eel. All right, eels, we have different names for it. They didn't, all right, because an eel looks like a what? A snake. Right? Now, fish was a common food of that area. Okay? It was a clean animal. However, any, any fish that didn't have scales or fins were not clean to eat. So an eel, that's a water snake all right, that lives in the water, it's a fish. It, was not, it doesn't have 
scales so it was not clean. And so who, as a father, when your son asks for a fish, gives a fish, but one you can't eat? It's mocking, isn't it? Right? And if you did this as a parent, you were mean. Okay? If my dad did this, he would have been very, very mean. I wouldn't have liked him. Right? And so Jesus recognizes when your son asks for a bread, you give them bread. When he asks for a fish, you give him fish. And even though you guys aren't perfect, you know how to give good gifts. And Jesus says, listen, God is a good God. And he knows how to give good gifts. And so when we pray, we need to be persistent in our prayers. We need to be constantly praying, God, give us what we need. Give us our daily bread. God, give us and help us and do what we're asking you to do. And our God is a good God and he gives what is best for us. All right, so that's prayer. The last thing is verse 12. Uh, he says this, do so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so that, that's kind of the wrap, right? Uh, 5.17, Jesus said, hey, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, and then he talks from 5.17 till 7.12 about the law and prophets, and he sums up his sermon with this beautiful saying, right? Do to others what you would have them do to you. And we have a name for this. You guys know it? The golden rule. You know why it's called the golden rule? Because an emperor one time put it on his wall in gold, okay? All right, the golden rule. And we like to quote this, I think. All right, I know in my house, my wife quotes it a lot. All right, but I think she misapplies it sometimes, okay? All right, my son, Micah, uh, he does not like peace, all right? For whatever reason, if there's, it's peaceful, it's quiet, he will ruin that quickly. Uh, the other day, my daughter Naomi was playing in the kitchen with some like little toys that she has, and she had like five or six of them out. And while she was playing with two over here, Micah walks in and recognizes that she's playing quietly, picks up one that she's not looking at, and throws it into the other room. Just she doesn't even notice it until she turns around and realizes I don't have all my toys here. And she knew immediately who had done it. I'm watching this whole thing, right? He, she knows immediately who's done it. Micah! You're right, Micah did do that. He had thrown it in there. And so my, as we're disciplining my son, my wife says, Micah, you, you have to do to others what you would want them to do to you. Now, what we really mean is this when we quote it like that, right? Don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Right? And that's, that's a negative. It, it, it sounds different, and it means something different, right? The world survives by that concept. Don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. When you go to the store, and you buy something, and they give you change, and they give you exact change, right? And you want that because the clerk that's giving you the money back, they don't, they don't want to get cheated out of money either. So they're not going to cheat you out of money. When you're driving and there's someone walking on the side of the road, you don't hit them, do you? Most people don't hit them, and they don't hit them because they wouldn't want to be hit by a car either. All right, that is how the world survives, not doing to people what we wouldn't want done to us. But the golden rule, this rule that Jesus says that sums up the law and the prophet, it is positive. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. 
you're driving in your car and it suddenly breaks down and you don't know why and you're over on the side of the road and you're trying to figure it out what would you want someone to do for you then stop and help so when you're driving down the side of the road and you see a car broken down what do you do do proactively what you would want others to do to you. And that's a hard one for me. My life is busy. It's crazy. I'm trying to get to where I go. I don't have time, right? But we are to do what we would want others to do to us. You get to the grocery store and you have a full card and you've laid it all out there. It's been scanned through and you're getting ready to uh, pay for it and you swipe your debit, credit card, whatever it is, and it's declined. So you go to your next one and it's declined. You have no way to pay for it. What would you want someone to do in that moment? That's what I would want. I would want someone to pay it for me and say, I got you this time. So what do you do when you're standing behind that person, do you get impatient with them? Do you start to look around for another aisle to go to? Do to others what you would want done to you. I have a friend that has an autistic child who who can't walk yet and she's about 18 months 20 months years old or 20 months old uh, and, and she just had a new baby three or four months so she has two children infant children that cannot walk and she goes into a, a church uh, for a meeting that she is uh, trying to plan some things out and she's walking into the church carrying these two babies and a full diaper bag and the stuff for the meeting, and she's struggling to get the door open and get into the meeting, and as she walks into the building, there's a guy there that says, man, you look like you have your hands full. And as she's walking through, this guy never once offers to help her carry the baby or to open the door or to carry the diaper bag, and she just struggles as she gets in. I've never had that. We have five kids, but we've never had two children that couldn't walk at the same time. I can imagine the struggle and what I would want in that moment. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. Elsewhere in Jesus' teachings, he's asked a question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered it by saying this. He says, love God with all that you are. And he says the second is like it, is love other people as yourself. And then Jesus uses words very similar here. He says, for these two sum up the law and the prophets. Doing to others what you would want them to do to you is love. It's a definition of love. It's what it means to be loving people. And if we could do this, if we could actively be empathetic towards people and never having been in their life situations, put myself in that life situation and say, man, what would I want someone to do for me if I was facing this? If we did that, we could change the world. 
the early Christians, they practiced this. In the 200s, the major cities of Rome faced plagues. And people were dying left and right, and they had no idea what was going wrong. And all of the affluent and the rich of the cities, they fled because they didn't want to die. And you know what the Christians did in those moments? As everyone else was leaving, they were going in. And they were feeding people. And they were bathing people. Because they knew that even if they were sick, that that is what they would want someone to do for them. And they show love and kindness. And it changed the world. Because the moment the Christians did that, everyone's mind changed on who they were. These were people that loved. And I think everything that Jesus has talked about from Matthew 5, 17 onwards has been about this concept. Can you do for other people what you would want done for you? If you were in sin, you wouldn't want someone coming to you and judging you for it. Instead, you would want grace and forgiveness and understanding. So when we look at judging people, we shouldn't just judge them, but rather we should bring restoration because that's what we would want. Do to others. Let us do that, because I think if we do that, the world would be far different. As Christians, let's practice this, and let's change the world. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is hard sometimes to recognize uh, the things that people need in their lives. It's hard uh, not to put our own needs above other people's needs. It's hard not to empathize with people at times. But Lord, you've called us to live in a different kingdom, to be a part of a, a different society, to be people that are pleasing to you and that are following your commands. And Lord, you have told us what it is that we just have to do, that if we did it, everything would change. Help us, Father, to recognize that people are in different situations. Sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's not. But when they're in that situation, there's things that they would desire to be done. Lord, help us to recognize what we would want and to do that. Not simply to, to not do what we wouldn't want done, but to actively seek out and to do things to help people, to love on them. Father, help us to be men and women that are pleasing to you, that are loving this world around us. I ask these things in your name. Amen.